patients can be hurt and even killed when doctors, hospitals, or medical professionals make mistakes. And unfortunately, this is all too common in the United States. I'm Bill Klaproth, and in this episode of the Newland Lawcast, we talk about medical malpractice. And here with us is Gary Newland, an injury attorney and partner at Newland and Newland Law. Gary, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. First off, can you tell us about your experience with medical malpractice? Yes, I have 25 years of experience with medical malpractice. I have represented people in many different types of medical malpractice cases. It's extremely important that when considering a medical malpractice case that someone keep documentation of what is going on with respect to their condition and that they also acquire all of the medical records so that we can properly evaluate whether or not there's a medical malpractice claim. How should someone evaluate whether they have suffered harm due to negligent care? How do they know if it's because a doctor or a medical professional did something wrong? Medicine is very complicated. I think it's, it's very difficult for someone to know for sure that a doctor did something wrong unless another doctor tells them or a nurse tells them, which does happen sometimes. Really, we're, we find most of our medical malpractice cases come from very bad outcomes wherein somebody is in a coma and not able to speak for themselves, but a family member contacts us and says, hey, my family member's in a coma and we don't understand why and we're not getting answers from the hospital. I mean, that, that's one example. Or somebody dies and it's unclear as to what really caused their death. Or someone comes out of a, a procedure and has a situation that's much worse than before they went into the procedure. Uh, these are all situations that, that develop and no one knows whether they have a medical malpractice case because sometimes there's just bad outcomes. And so you can't know until it's evaluated by an attorney. So then if someone comes to you wanting to file a medical malpractice claim, how do you work with that client? What is your process? Well, the first uh, question we have for the client is, what and why do you believe there was a malpractice claim? We wanted their insight. And many of them have been keeping a calendar, you know, noting, you know, that they're not getting better or noting things that they didn't feel were right. And that, that helps us evaluate the medical records so that we can ascertain whether there's a case. But what we're really looking for when we get the medical records, because we have to have the medical records to determine whether or not there's a malpractice case, is where a doctor doesn't follow the standard of care. It's all about the standard of care. The malpractice law allows the doctors to make mistakes. It's just whether or not their mistake is a breach of the standard of care. With respect to pursuing a medical malpractice case, we can't file a medical malpractice case unless another doctor will sign off saying that there was malpractice. It's always helpful when a client has a current treater that would say, sign off and say that was malpractice. It's not common, however. So typically, and oftentimes, we work with many different doctors that are familiar with the standard of care. And if they believe it was breached, we'll sign off and allow us to sue a doctor. Because without a doctor signing off in Illinois, you cannot sue another doctor. Hmm, that's very interesting. So how else do you go about building a case then? Who else might you talk to when determining whether this is medical malpractice? Well, first of all, we go through the records to try and highlight certain things and to see if we think records have been altered. It's not uncommon that hospitals or physicians will alter records to try and cover up mistakes. And after we review 
then we'll make notes and we'll forward our notes as well as the medical records to our expert to evaluate whether they think there's a breach of the standard of care. If our expert supports that, then we can proceed against the doctor in court if the damages are significant enough. It's extremely common for people to contact us and, you know, there was a breach of the standard of care, let's say, but the damages are are not very much. In those cases, because the cost of pursuing a medical malpractice case is extremely significant, we're not able to proceed for the person, even if there was malpractice. So there has to be enough damages also to make pursuing for the malpractice case viable. It's not uncommon at all. In fact, a typical malpractice case probably has over $100,000 of costs that go into pursuing the claim. And the reason it's that way is because the law is set up in such a way to protect the hospitals and the doctors to keep the costs of acquiring medical treatment down. So there's built-in systems within the process to keep the costs of treatment down and to reduce the number of lawsuits. Okay, that's really good to know. And should someone contact you right away? I'm just envisioning somebody who had a surgery, they come home and they're struggling months and months after. Is there a statute of limitations on this? Is calling you sooner rather than later important? There is a statute of limitations of two years in Illinois. Most personal injury cases and medical malpractice have a two-year statute of limitations. Cases against the government have a one-year statute of limitation. With respect to malpractice cases, it's really less and as a practical matter, and let me explain to you why. Because we cannot sue a doctor or a hospital without permission of a of another doctor, it takes time to have a doctor review everything and give us permission to sue. So if someone contacts us right before the statute of limitations is up, it's unlikely that we're going to be in a position to advance the case for them because of all the time involved with the process of putting the case together. So it is important to contact a lawyer as soon as someone reasonably can so that there's time to put the case evaluation together and to get the appropriate opinions necessary to be able to proceed with the lawsuit. Gary, let me ask you this. Are doctors unwilling to testify against other doctors? How difficult is it to get another doctor to sign off on this? The medical community is a very small community. And in consequence, doctors see each other at conferences. They see each other's association meetings. And oftentimes, doctors aren't willing to testify against other doctors they know. So sometimes it's necessary for us to go outside of the state of Illinois and go to other states to find physicians that aren't familiar with local physicians that will support our case and claim. So that's another factor that comes into play. We may have a doctor from Illinois that says, hey, that's malpractice. Um, I would sign off allowing you to file suit. However, I know that doctor. So you're going to have to now contact someone out of state to get permission to file a lawsuit. And that's not uncommon. That happens fairly regularly. I could see where that would take time. So for someone who has been suffering for a while, understanding that statute of limitations really is important because I would imagine it takes time to build these cases. Is that right? It does. It takes time to build the cases. And that's why people shouldn't really delay. And the other thing that takes time is we need complete medical records to evaluate the cases. And that takes time to acquire those. Now, clients can pick up their medical records much quicker than when we order them through the process that we order through. 
I've waited, you know, six months or more to get medical records from hospitals or treating physicians where a client can go to the hospital and go to the treating physician's office, contact them, ask for copies of the records, and they'll have them typically within a matter of weeks. And so what we do is we generally ask our clients to acquire those records for our review because of the timeframes involved. And I know in medical malpractice, there's probably got to be a thousand different things, but what are some of the common medical malpractice cases that Newland Law handles? Well, we deal with cases that have involved failure to diagnose. For instance, a, a doctor doesn't diagnose uh, cancer when the doctor uh, reasonably should have. Uh, other cases that we've been involved in are cases involving uh causing complex regional pain syndrome, which is CRPS, where doctors have aggravated or caused CRPS. Other conditions that come up, we deal with a lot of medical product cases where uh, the the product itself that was done medically, inserted medically, whether it was a knee or a hip or a shoulder, was a defective product. And although that isn't a medical malpractice case, it kind of grows out of a medical, it kind of grows out of the same area and is somewhat related. Other cases uh, that we have are just where doctors have operated on the wrong part of the body or they have had situations where they did not use the right tools so an injury was caused or did not use the right uh, replacement parts when, uh, for instance, the wrong size valve was installed and can cause great injury. There are so many different types of medical malpractice cases. And along those lines, you also have, uh, we put nursing home cases in the same category as medical malpractice, people that get bed sores. We put also physical therapy malpractice in the same category as medical malpractice, where a physical therapist instructs someone to do something and the person's condition gets worse because of the physical therapist uh, didn't understand the nature of the person's condition to begin with. So there's a lot of uh, different areas that fall within the medical malpractice area that we do practice in as well. Gary, that's a lot of ground to cover when it comes to medical malpractice. My goodness, I never even thought about that. Wrong tools, wrong parts, wrong limbs. Oh my goodness. So if someone does feel they have a medical malpractice claim and they come to see you, is there a cost for a consultation? Typically when people come to us with a medical malpractice case, they're not in a position to pay. And so we represent people on contingency fee basis. We do ask that they do acquire their medical records, but we represent them on a contingency fee basis, which means we don't charge them unless we collect. So we make money if they get compensation. Gotcha. And if someone can't make it into your office, will you travel to them? It is extremely common for us to visit our injured clients at home or in the hospital. We'll even travel out of state. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure that we can move forward and evaluate things in a timely fashion to get them where they need to be. Well, Gary, you've given us some great information. If you could just wrap it up for us, is there anything else we should know about making a medical malpractice claim? Well, one of the the biggest issues that I experience when doing a medical malpractice evaluation for a claim is the fact that oftentimes the people come in very late in the process. And so therefore, I ask that everyone take that into consideration. It's important to come in as soon as you can because that window, although the session limitations is two years, like we said earlier, 
if they don't come in well before the two years, then we will not have time to get the opinions we need to pursue the claim. That makes sense. Gary, thank you so much for the great information today. And to learn more on medical malpractice, please visit newlandlaw.com. That's newlandlaw.com. This is the Newland Lawcast. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.